Well, today's message is taken from the book of Joshua, chapter 1. I would ask you to turn with me in your Bibles, uh, if you have one, to the book of Joshua. If you have one on your phone or uh, one in hand, I would ask you to turn with me to Joshua, chapter 1. Last week, we concluded our series entitled Set in Stone. And next week, we're studying, uh, starting a new series, which our small groups will be um, delving into, called I Church, and it's connecting the believer to the body. We want to understand and show what it means to be a believer uh, in the body of Christ, to understand that we are not just solitary Christians, but we are connected. We are linked with one another. But that's next week, and this week we're talking about stepping forward. And, and what I mean by that is, is I, I was thinking and meditating on uh, this passage this past week, and uh, I was reminded of the words, or actually the, the life of Thomas Alva Edison. I, I had a privilege of visiting his home uh, several years ago, his winter home in Fort Myers, Florida. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to go down there, but he had a, actually had a home next to Henry Ford. And there's a museum that is attached to this home. And you can go and tour it and see all of the different things that Thomas Edison invented. And, and I was fascinated by it. I mean, I know that he improved, actually didn't quite invent, but improved the incandescent light bulb. He invented the phonograph. I mean, putting sound, that just blows my mind. How do you take sound and put it on something, and then it can transmit it to our ears is beyond me. And how he could even think of that. I mean, he created even like power stations and, and circuits, and, and he created so many different things, the electric generator and even a motion picture camera. I mean, think about that. Imagine being in the 1800s and say, I'm going to take your image, Dennis, and I'm going to record you moving and speaking. I mean, that's unheard of. Now we just take it for granted but if we were to try to invent something like that, we'd be completely clueless. And yet this is what this man did. And what really struck me, though, is not necessarily how many things that he invented, but how many times he failed while he was inventing. And, and undoubtedly, you've heard the quote. When they were talking to him, uh, someone was talking to him about results, and he says this, Results? Why, man, I have gotten lots of results. If I find 10,000 ways something won't work, I haven't failed. I'm not discouraged because every wrong attempt discarded is often a step forward. See, I think many of us, we've tried to do life in a lot of different ways, have we not? We looked at what our friends and what our neighbors have done. We've seen what our coworkers, how they live their lives. And we've tried a lot of different ways. But sometimes we we don't stay on the path of God's way. And it's only when we stay on God's path that we truly can leave failure behind, we can find success in the presence and the will of Almighty God. Today we're, we're going to be looking into the life of Joshua. And as I mentioned before, we just finished our series entitled Set in Stone, and Moses had been the leader. I mean, he had received the Ten Commandments and given them to the nation of Israel. But Moses had handed off the baton to Joshua And Joshua is getting ready to lead the people into the promised land. I can't imagine having that burden to follow that show. I mean, he had Moses, 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 Moses. He had a pedigree that no one else had. He'd been educated in Pharaoh's courts. He had been the man that God had revealed himself to with the burning bush. He had been the man who had had led the Israelites out of bondage from the greatest most powerful superpower on earth at that time. That's what he did. I mean, he was the one that showed up in Pharaoh's face and said, this is what you're going to do. And if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. Pharaoh said, I, basically, I am a god, because Pharaoh was considered to be a god on this earth. So as doing, by doing that, I mean, he was saying that I'm God, you can't tell me what to do. God had other plans. And God wrought the ten plagues through Moses upon the Egyptians. And then Moses leads them out. And he he gets ready. He's right on the precipice of the Red Sea. And the people, though, start to complain. The more that I study the, the history of Israel, you just see complaining and grumbling and complaining and grumbling and complaining and grumbling. And we're, we're, we're like that. We just continue to complain. I mean, the Israelites were always complaining. Every time you turn around, they're complaining. I'm reminded of this past week. I was at the sandwich fair. Uh, I was a chaperone for my daughter's fifth grade class, and um, I had five fifth graders. So I, I went with pads on, and I was ready to tour the sandwich fair with five fifth graders. 
And one girl particularly, she kept asking for water as we walked around. It was a hot day. It was very humid. And I said, okay, I let her, we let her, I walked the group over to a water fountain and took a drink. But she wasn't satisfied with that because a friend of hers had a water bottle. She wanted a water bottle, but she, she didn't have any money. Only one of the kids had money. And so uh, she, we walk away. We're not even 100 feet. And she's like, I'm thirsty. The water fountain was just right there. We just took care of your thirst. And she goes, no, I want a water bottle. And, and I thought, well, you're not going to get a water bottle. Let's continue to walk on. This girl continued to complain for every, every few minutes for an entire hour. I want a water bottle. You I mean, you'd think she just walked walk through the Sahara. And I, I finally said, why do you keep complaining? No one's giving you the water bottle. She goes, I'm going to complain until they do. And that's exactly what happened. The, the one boy is like, would you please shut up? Here's a dollar. You know, and, and that's what happens to us. We complain and we complain and we complain. No, and we're never satisfied with what God gives. And that's what the nation of Israel did. They complain, they complain, they complain, they complain. And God would send plague. He would send discipline. He would send chastisement. And even, even as they're standing at the precipice of the Red Sea, they see the Egyptians coming. It doesn't matter all the power that they had seen exhibited in Egypt. That wasn't enough. They look at Moses and they say, were there no graves in Egypt that you brought us here to die? Moses has got to be like, you've got to be kidding me. Where Did you see the frogs? The Nile? Come on, I got ten things to show you. And, they're, and they start freaking out. And, and he, complain, he goes to the Lord. And the Lord says to him in Exodus 14, why do you speak to me? Step forward. Step forward. Because he says the Lord will fight for you. You need to only be still. In other words, be quiet, stop complaining, and step forward and see what God has for you. And the Israelites step forward and the Red Sea. That's an amazing picture, is it not? And God, I mean, that's what Joshua had to deal with. Joshua had to have that image in his mind. But even after the Red Sea, even after Mount Sinai and the thunders and rumblings, I mean, what did the people do? They complained. We want water. He makes it out of a dry rock. We want bread. He makes manna fall from heaven. We want meat. The quail comes in. Still not enough. Still not enough. This is Joshua is trying to figure out how did Moses deal with these people? How am I to lead? I mean, the reason that they were in the wilderness as it was was because the people failed to step forward. See, remember, they, they got brought into the wilderness, and they're getting ready to enter into the promised land, but Moses sends 12 spies, 12 spies to spy out the land. And they see these giants. People are huge. And they, they come back, and 10 of the spies say, we can't take this land. We can't take it. They're too big. They're too strong. They're too fierce. Two of the spies say, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Let's do this thing. And the people side with the ten spies, and they decide not to enter into the promised land. And God, in his anger, he says, he decrees judgment upon the people of Israel. Because the spies had been in the, the promised land for 40 days. So he says, for each day, I'm going to assign one year, and you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Until all of this previous generation, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that stayed true, is going to die. They wouldn't take me at my word. They wouldn't step forward. And so now, the 40 years is up. Joshua is ready to lead this rebellious, stiff-necked people into the promised land. And God has some words for him. God has some, some admonition and counsel for him. And it's that I invite you to look at with me today. As we're in Joshua chapter 1, I'll be reading from verse 1 through 9. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. I would ask you to stand with me as we read the word together. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to, giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I have promised to Moses. 
from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do, all, to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence right now, knowing the rebellion within each one of our hearts, knowing the struggles with which we all struggle with. Lord, we ask you to give us the faith to believe, the eyes to see what you desire for us. And Lord, for those that are hurting, those that are going through a difficult time right now, I pray that your healing hand might be upon them. I pray that you might enable each one of us to see the truths within your word that we might truly understand what it means to joyously follow you day in and day out. So Lord, please remove the layers of unbelief and help us to see truly who you are, that your name might receive glory in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Now I can't imagine being Joshua. God declared, desired to bless this entire nation. It was Joshua's job to lead them into that blessing. But it wouldn't be easy. See, if they were to enter into that blessing, and we, we also know that Israel is a type, a lot of these things that happen to Israel is a type for us, that we, as an example for us, that we might see what the struggles that we ourselves might have in, in and through what God did with them. So in Israel, we can see a lot of ourselves on our failures, as well as our successes. So we can see there that this nation was ready to enter into this promised land, and Joshua was to lead them. And we understand that they needed to recognize something was going on. They needed to recognize that there was a new course of action. Recognize a new course of action. God was doing something different in them and through them than He had done before. Now, I think many of us God brings to our attention a new course of action for our lives, but we're not very good with change. We're not. We are people that like our routines. I'm a person just like that. I have a coffee cup that I drink from every morning, and if that coffee cup is not there or someone borrows it, I'm not in a very good mood. You ever have that? Maybe you're like that. You have a routine that you get in. Even at church, you might sit in the same seat every Sunday. Someone sits in your seat on Easter, and you, it's not a happy Easter for you. Okay, we're very much routines. The nation of Israel had been in, into a routine. But God is saying, no, I'm doing something different now. And you need to recognize this is a new course of action. And he needed to tell that to Joshua. Joshua needed to understand that. And Joshua did understand that. This, this new direction that he was heading in. And we have a tendency to not want to go like that, in that new direction. We want to do things on our own way. Different than the way God does. I mean, many of us are, are, are like that. We, we don't want to do what God wants us to do. We think that we are better or smarter than God. I always laugh when I see the bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot. I'm like, God should be your pilot. Because when you're trying to be the pilot and God the co-pilot, he's trying to pull the steering wheel one way and you're trying to do it another. And that's a car wreck waiting to happen. I mean, many of us are like that. We don't like what God wants to make us and do with us. As I mentioned before, I was a chaperone this past weekend, uh, or this past week, and I, we went to the commercial building at the Sandwich Fair where there was a woman that was doing pottery. And I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to see that. I mean, now it's so modernized. They flip the switch and the, the turnstile keeps going and they put the, the clay on it and it's just one mound and they put their hands on it and the water is there and they start to, to form it and that thing just keeps spinning, 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 spinning faster and faster and faster. And that her hands just move very slowly. If she were to rush it, it wouldn't work. But it has to be very slowly and honing it and shaping it. And it keeps spinning, spinning, spinning. 
See, God, though we go through day in and day out, we're going through each day, we don't feel like God is working that quickly, He is slowly directing us to what He wants us to be. And then when He he gets that shape, He reaches in and pulls out the harder parts where it really hurts. The problem is, is what we want to do is, God's trying to make us into a, a vase, we want to be a cup. So we try to shape ourselves, and then God says no, and then he brings it in. And I don't know if you've seen it. If it messes up, they stop it, and then they beat it back down so they can remold it again. So they do. That's what God does. That's what God did, did with you, didn't it, Rich? He just beats you back down. He says, no, I'm going to give you some time just to let me work on you. I'm taking you in a different direction than you may, want, you, you may not want to go. That's what God does. We have to recognize that new course of action. Now, that means two different things. It means leaving the past behind. Leaving the past behind. See, the nation of Israel had to leave the past behind. Moses, that's the first thing you see within the text. Look at it. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. So twice within these first two verses, we see Moses is dead. The past is gone. It's not here any longer. You've got to leave it behind. You have to step forward. It's your time. You can't keep holding on to the way that things were. See, I'm reminded of that. Some, of, some people talk about the good old days. The good old days, right? I love what Warren Worsby said. Check out this quote. He said, the good old days is nothing more than a bad memory and a good imagination. <laughs> a bad memory and a good imagination. I mean, there are some people trying to conjure up the good old days, and they can't move forward. I mean, I I love history. I love to study history. But I don't want to just always be a student of history. I want to partner with God and help make history. That's what I want to do. I don't want to just be held hostage to the past. And that's what I love about God's Word is that there are transcendent principles. There's transcendent truths. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. He always has. It's Christ crucified. The message has never changed. But I love the old Youth for Christ, the youth organization, Youth for Christ, old tagline. Geared to the times, but anchored to the rock. It's a great phrase. Geared to the times and anchored to the rock. The message never, ever changes. Never changes. It's always Jesus Christ crucified. He died for you. He went to the cross for you. He died in your place. And you can't come to Him without repentance and faith. You can't come to Him without surrender. You can't come to Him without obedience. You can't come holding your sin and God in the same hand. God requires us all to repent and follow Him. He requires us all to depart from iniquity and embrace Him. And many of us, we feel, we feel that we are held captive and hostage, not just to our past as a way of doing things, but our own personal past, that they, they chain us, they keep us. We can't let that stay with us. We have to be reminded of the truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, I love this passage. Here we go. It's right up here. Because this, this is what happens. Paul is talking about the past. He says, or do you not know? He's talking about the present and the past. Here's what he says. Or you do not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's not just present, but future. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So he talks about the future in the first verse up there, and then he moves into the present. This is what actively, these people are not going to inherit it, and I love that next verse. And such were some of you. That's what you were. Don't forget it. That's what you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. You are, were a sinner so far behind, lost. But then God's grace entered into your life and transformed you. And you're no longer held hostage by your past. It doesn't longer have to change you anymore. That you are a new creation in Christ. That you're brand new. That you can be forgiven. Isn't that a wonderful truth? That we don't have to be who we've always been before. That we can be something totally different. 
because the Spirit of God is working within us. We can step forward now. We don't have to be held hostage by those things any longer. That's what Joshua needed to understand. Moses is dead. Moses was dead. Now, therefore, arise. This is new. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. What was God telling Joshua? He was saying, prepare yourselves for the blessing. Get ready for the bounty because it's coming. See, if we obey him and take a step forward in faith, then it involves us preparing for God's bounty. That's why I'm convinced that most Christians don't do this. We're not not ready to receive what God has for us. We're too fearful. We're afraid. We're afraid of what it might cost us. We're afraid of changing our routine. We're afraid of damaging our reputation. We're afraid of what others might think about us. But God is saying right here, step forward. Be prepared for the blessing that I have for you. I've got something ready for you, something that it's going to be beyond your imagination, but you need to prepare for it. Arise and go. You know, many of us, we're, we're just at this, we don't move much. We're right there, right in the middle. You know, the interesting thing is, there's only one of two things that happen to a, a human body. You're either, you're growing, living, or it's dying. You know, the only thing that doesn't move is dead. You know that? Many of us, spiritually speaking, are so stagnant. We have no desire for God. We don't want to read the Word of God. We don't want to tell other people about who God is. Prayer is about as fun to us as reading an insurance claim. We don't know what it means to commune with God. We don't have a great vision of who God is any longer, and we become discomplacent and set in our ways. And God wants to come in and blow it out of the water. That's what I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, verse 20 through 21. This is the verse I've held on to for many years. And when I went to be a pastor in Massachusetts, I came to a church that had was all from outward looks of it, it was dead. As I've mentioned to you before, the average length of membership there had been 38 years. I mean, some of the people had literally been born in the church. And they'd been there, I mean, they'd been lived, born there, grew up there, married there, had their children there, their children left, and then their, their spouse died, and then they died. And this church had been through such turmoil. They'd gone through two previous pastors and had to fire them and split the church. They were down to just a handful of people, 35 people. They had just enough money to keep them open for two years if nothing would have, uh, nothing would have good or bad happened. And they're, they're all just discouraged and downtrodden. And I sat down with them and I said, let's look at this verse. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I sat across from some of these older ladies that had been there for 40, 50 years, and I said, dream with me. What do you think God wants to do here? She said, well, God wants to bring more people. Okay, maybe four or five more families. Well, God can do a lot bigger than that. What can God do? He can bring 10 families. God can do a lot bigger than that. Well, he could give us a a, a new carpet. He can do a lot bigger than that. And I said, what? And finally they got irritated. They said, he he could give us a helicopter and put a helipad on the roof. I said, that's right. (laughs) I'm not sure if that's what God wants to do, but he can do that. Why do we limit God? We limit God. God wants to do more than we can ask or even think about. I've been trying to sit and think and pray and say, God, what do you want to do in our midst? God says, I want to bless you. I want to bless you in ways that you can't comprehend. I want to see you grow. I want to see you have peace. I want to see you be transformed in your relationships with other people. I've been asking him, Lord, what do you want to do here at Village Bible Church Grace Campus? What do you want to do? And he keeps keeps giving me visions. Not like visions like Paul, but visions. Where, where you see a, a homeless man and a CEO sitting by each other, and the, the homeless man who's telling the CEO and leading him to Jesus. Where, where I see multiple generations, young all the way up to the very old, coming together and, and building relationships and sharing with one another. I see us not only being multi-generational, but multi-ethnic, where we have Hispanic, white, we have black, we have Asian, we have all the colors of the rainbow. 
We have former Hindus and Muslims. We have atheists and agnostics. We have transvestites and whatever else you can think of all coming to know Jesus. To be transformed. That's the God that I serve. That's what God delights to do. And many of us think, oh, wow, that's a lot of work. You know what? But it's not dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon you because, look, it's the power that is at work within us. God, His Spirit is working in us and through us to transform the hearts and minds of people in this community, in this neighborhood. Think of the person that you know is the farthest away from God. God wants to touch them. God wants to show His grace upon them. He wants them to trust in Jesus Christ. He wants us to be reaching out and being bold and telling all these other people who who He is. He wants us to be reaching the poor and the down and the out and the, the downtrodden. He wants us to be taking life and building into other people in ways that we wouldn't otherwise think about. I mean, there are many ways we can do this. I mean, I, it does, what, what has God gifted you to do? What has God done in you and through you? What does He want to use you to do? God wants to use you. He wants to use every age. He wants to use every background, every educational bent. Whether you're a high school dropout or whether you're a Ph.D., God wants to use you. It doesn't matter where you've come from or what you've done. God wants to use you. If we're to, we need to get ready for what God has for us. God is working within us, and He can do more than we can ask or imagine, but we don't believe that. We think that He can do just a little bit more than what we can see. But God wants to blow that vision out of the water and do something so far beyond anything that we could ever ask or imagine. I imagine that's what a lot of the people in Israel heard when they heard about Moses coming. Well, what's Moses want to do? Do you want us to give us a day off? Or does he want to help us you know, with our taskmasters? And they said, nope, he wants to lead you out without even raising a, a sword. He wants to lead you out of slavery. They probably went, what? He's been in front of the burning bush a little too long. That's what God likes to do. God delights in transforming individuals and churches. But if we're to prepare for this blessing, that it involves us embracing our calling. Embracing our calling. Look at verse 2. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people. Now, who is it for? Was it just for Joshua? You and who? All this people. You're going together. This isn't just for individuals. See, we have a tendency to just think of me and God, me and God. We individualize our faith. That's not what God wants to do. He understands that he saves us and puts us in a church, puts us with other believers. And that's messy. But that's what God wants it to be and desires it to be. We need to be embracing our calling. We need to be together. We need to be arms locked together. See, one of the greatest pictures of that, which is often overlooked, is in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, in the full armor of God. We think of that as just individuals, but that's not what it is. See, we see the helmet of salvation. Yes, that's individual. We see the the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, our feet being shed with the the gospel of peace. We have the the sword of, of the Spirit. And we, we also have the shield of faith. And it's interesting, the way that Paul understood it is that they were all to be linked together. I want to show you this picture. This is, the, this is how the Roman legions fought. It's a tortoise formation. And see, what they would do is they had to be together, though. Because that's why he says, I want you to be in the full armor of God to, to deflect what? The, the fiery darts, the arrows of the enemy, right? That's what the picture is. You can't Be protected from the the fiery arrows unless you're surrounded with other people that are linked with you. That's a picture of the church, people. That's what the church is supposed to be. Each of us coming together like that. I don't care what your age is. I don't care if you're you're 10, you're 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, 19, 20. I mean, why is it that we have this big giant gap between the age of 16 and 30? You guys are in your 18, 19, 20 years old. You need to get involved. And that means growing up, and that means taking responsibility. Don't wait around. You young men and, young men and old, younger women, 
Get involved. Own it. You're not a kid anymore. Grow up. Take responsibility for your faith. And quit wasting your time on playing around in stupid stuff. Embrace the calling that God has. We all need to be doing that. Embracing that calling. We have to band together and each generation and gift is needed. Consider for a moment 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 7. Now there are varieties of gifts. This is talking about spiritual gifts, that every believer is gifted. Every single believer without exception is gifted. And here it is. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given. You've been given a gift, but not for you to selfishly hoard it. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's for everybody else. Your gift is to serve other people. Look at this next one up here. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 through 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What's your gift? Are you serving? Are you partnering with other people? Are you a spiritual renegade? Do you have a rebellious, divisive spirit? Or are you willing to partner with other people? We need to be embracing our calling. We can see God do great things. And it doesn't matter what your gift is. You might be mechanically inclined. I think of a church, what they did is they had a lot of guys that were good at working on cars. So what they did is they offered a day, a Saturday, where any single woman in the community could come out and get her oil changed. It's as simple as that. I mean, it could be as creative as you want it to be, whatever your gift is. It could be maybe you're a, a plumber and, you, and some older person within the church needs a help with their plumbing. Maybe you're a carpenter. Maybe you're an electrician. Maybe, maybe you're just good at watching kids or maybe you're good at, at, at whatever. Just sitting talking to someone that has no one to visit them. What's your gift? These are all gifts. Some are just natural gifts that God has given and other are spiritual gifts. But God wants us to use all of our gifts for His glory. Now, God is telling them to stake their claim, and He is saying the same thing to us. He wants us to be staking our claim to His promises. I want us to look at verse 3 for a moment. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. In other words, stake your claim to his promises. God's promised something, but you've got to stake your claim. You've got to be a part of it. I think of the land run of 1889, April 22, 1889, that two million acres were opened up in Oklahoma for anybody that wanted to have a 60, 160 acres farm. And what they did is they lined up at noon on April 22nd, 1889, shot the gun, and people went off to stake their claim. And it was offered free for anybody who wanted it. If you were to improve upon it, it was yours. And people were riding their horses and going crazy trying to get to it. It was theirs for the taking. Anybody could have it. It didn't matter where you were born or what your background was. It didn't matter how smart you are. It didn't matter how fast your horse was. If you could go long enough, you could get that. It was available for you. See, that's what God is saying to us, is that I've given you all of these different promises, these precious promises. They are available to you. Take them. Grab hold of them. But we don't. We say, I'm all good. How stupid are we? We need to grab a hold of these promises. Look at this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to his own glory and ex excellence, by which he has granted to us precious, precious, and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Did you get that? Become partakers. Partakers of the most grand experience that everything in this world is only just a glimpse of. Think of the greatest pleasure that you have ever experienced, and it is infinitesimal compared to the pleasure that you can find in God himself. That's what C.S. Lewis talked about when he wrote this. Let's bring that up. He said, indeed, if we consider 
the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. God is offering it to us. And we're saying, no, I'm all good right here. It's infinite joy. He's offering us his very self to be partakers of the divine nature. He's given us several different promises. Until that day when we go to be with him, we have the opportunity to tell other people about who he is. And did you know that God has promised that there will be people that will respond to you? I'm not saying that everyone is going to respond in the right way, but there will be people that will respond to you in the right way. That's what Jesus says. John chapter 4, verse 35. Look at this. Do you not say there are four, yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest. There are people all around us in our workplaces and in our community that might have that, that put up that front of not wanting Jesus. But did you know that seven out of ten people in the United States have never been asked to go to church? That's on us, people. That's on us. You know, I'm reminded of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, um, which Moody Bible Institute is named after, he had an interesting goal. I don't know if you knew this or not, but he made, he made a vow to the Lord that he would never go to bed one day without telling somebody who Jesus was. He did that all the days of his life, by the way. There were times, it was like midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, and he's going to bed, and he realized that he hadn't told somebody. And he'd already been dressed for bed. He put all his clothes back on, went on the street till he found someone. And then he told him about who Jesus is. Your job is to cast the nets. You pray, you pursue, and then you persuade him. You cast the nets, and you tell him about who Jesus is. You keep telling him about who Jesus is. Just as Rich said, how many hours did you spend with that guy? 2,000 hours. And look, he's here today. That person's work paid off. God will honor your work. The fields are ripe. They're ready to go. Just go ahead. It's available to you. That's one of the promises that God has given to us. Claim that promise. Stake your claim in that promise. When you talk to your neighbors, your children, grandparents, grandparents, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles, cousins, co-workers, and classmates, there are people who are waiting to be told the glorious news about Jesus. Now, some will reject it. Others will embrace it. But don't hesitate. Pray for them, pursue them, and then persuade them. That's the gospel game plan. Now, if we're to step forward, though, it also requires us to be adhering to His commandments. Adhering to His commandments. It's number four within your notes. Look at number at verse 7 in Joshua chapter 1. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all, according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be able to careful may be careful to do according to all that is written within it. If we're to ever incur God's blessing, which is available to all of us, then we must make sure that we are doing what He has told us to do. Now, what the first step in doing that, adhering to His commandments, means it involves study. It involves study. Write that down. It involves study. You need to be bringing your Bible to church. I don't care if you have it on your phone or not. If you have it on your phone, that's fine. Don't let other people judge you. Just whip it out and show them. Okay, but bring a Bible, please. I'm begging you. How can you expect to have any victory or power in your life apart from doing what God wants you to do within his word? You can't. I'm begging you, do it, bring it, read it, and not just do it for show. Apply it to your life, please. Study. Think about the, the, the nation of Israel. Remember, they had rebelled against God, and God had brought the, uh, the Babylonians, and the Babylonians had, had come against them and destroyed the walls of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And they'd gone into captivity, or also known as the exile, and then they, they come back under the leadership of, of Nehemiah and Ezra. And it's fascinating to me what Ezra, he does. He's the priest, and his job is to instruct the people in the law of God. Check this out. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10 this is what uh, we read about Ezra. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. I love that. He set 
his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and then to teach other people about it. To do it. Not just read it, but do it. Do what it says. That's what God wants you to do. To do what the Word of God says. And then I like the King James Version for 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You have to study it. Now you might say, hey, I'm not a great student. I have a hard time reading. Uh, that you, I, I understand that. I perfectly understand that. But you need to still learn and study. It might be harder for you. You might have to take smaller increments. You might need to have someone help guide you. But don't let that be an excuse. For example, we're starting up Generations next week. In Generations, uh, we're doing the Theology Matters class. And we're also doing Financial Peace, which I really hope uh, if your finances are in a mess, sign up for that class. You don't have no idea how much of a blessing it is to have someone pay that for you. Okay? That's huge. That's a, it's an amazing class. Couples, their finances have been transformed. But this also, this Theology Matters class, I guarantee that if you come to this class, you will find your vision of God blown out of the water. You will help learn how to study, how to think, understand why you believe what you believe. Some people say, well, I, you know, I've just got Jesus. That's, that's fine. It's just me and Jesus. Well, when you say, I have Jesus, you're now, you're now describing also doctrine because what you believe about Jesus is what we're studying in this class. And we all need to study. I need to study. You need to study. We all here need to understand what the Word of God says. And don't just rely on me. Study for ourselves. We need to study. To study in order to adhere to His commandments. Then we also must remain steadfast. Steadfast. Adhering to His commandments involves being steadfast. Or having steadfastness. See, as we walk with Him, we're going to encounter opposition. And Joshua, that's what God was telling to Joshua, which is why he said to Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. See, he was going to have to stay steadfast. This wasn't just going to be a one-time thing, but he says, all the days of your life. In other words, you're going to have to keep on. You're going to have to be doing it day in and day out, taking up your cross daily. This isn't just a one-time thing. It's a lifelong habit that we put in place. Did you know it takes about 60 days to start a habit? 60 days. I would challenge you. Try reading the Word of God piece by piece for 60 days. Maybe you need to break it down. I would say do one chapter in the New Testament, start in the Gospel of Matthew, do one chapter a day for 60 days. Do it. It's it's a challenge to you. Do that. One chapter a day, that's it. One chapter a day. Did you know that if you you do one chapter a day every day, that you'll go through the entire New Testament twice in a year? pretty phenomenal. But to study, to remain steadfast as you do so. And understand then that you also need something else. It's very important. As you're studying the Word of God, as you're remaining steadfast, you can't do this in your flesh. Now I want you to to look at something here. I would like to see Joshua chapter uh, 1 verse 5 through 9. Now look at the underlined portion. God says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Now look down to verse 9. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How was, the na- how was God with the people of Israel in the Old Testament, especially in this period of time? Remember? The Shekinah glory. Well, it's the fire and the cloud. Remember, God would lead his people as they're wandering around in the wilderness. He would have appear by fire by night, and then he would appear by cloud by day. So he's saying, I'm with you. Now, today, we don't have that cloud and fire. We have something better, which is God's spirit within each one of us. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. That's to our own fault and our detriment. We place the Spirit of God just as a, another individual, kind of off on the side. It, whatever, that's what we say, it. But he's a he, he's a person, a divine person with a will that we can commune with, that God gives his Spirit to us to enable us to do these things. That's why we saw in the passage just a few moments ago to his, his, as his power is working in us, that is the Spirit of God. And if you have trusted in Christ, then you have the Spirit of God within you. The Spirit of God is within you. So we have to do it with His Spirit. That's the next point that I want you to write down. It has to be with His Spirit. As Warren Worsby said, let's begin with the obvious fact that nobody except the Holy Spirit is indispensable in the Lord's work. We have to have His Spirit. If we're going to have success, 
We have to have His Spirit, His presence, and walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit of God. See, many of us, we have received the Holy Spirit the moment we trusted in Christ, but we've not been filled with the Spirit of God. We've not asked Him to fill us, to direct us, to empower us. We are fallen fleshly creatures, but God wants to have His Spirit directing us. Adhering to His commandments, studying them, and applying them to our life, and being filled with the Spirit is ultimately the key to our success. Success. You can't have success in the sight of God without this. Look at this passage here. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Now notice this. Be strong and courageous. Only be strong and very courageous. And notice down here again. Be strong and courageous. We have to have God in our corner to have success. It is absolutely necessary to have success. Now, God also wants us to be living. This is ultimately key to our success, is, uh, is, is showing Him. Go back one moment for a second, would you, Carl? I want us to look at something, not the underlying portion. I want us to see something else here. See, notice here, the book of the law, verse 8, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then... You will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You won't have success apart from this. If you want to have success apart from the God's commands, it does not work. You will be in trouble. You might have some momentary success. You might have some financial success, but you won't have the peace of God directing your life and ruling within you. You won't. It's impossible. Adhering to his commands is the complete key to success. So we see, let's go forward to, so we see that's the key to our success go to the next one. And we see here, uh, go, go for one, one more. We see the be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. What is God telling us? If we're to step forward, then we have to live courageously. That's my last final major point there. Live courageously. It takes courage to do this. It takes courage to walk with God. It takes tremendous courage. Live courageously. And this involves us walking by faith. Here we have 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. We're to walk by faith, not by sight. Walk by faith. God is calling us to leave what we know behind, step forward with Him as individuals and as a church. And it requires walking by faith. We don't know what the future holds. We don't. We can fall on our face. But when we do, we repent, we get back up, but we keep moving forward. Keep moving forward because we're walking by faith, not by sight. We can also see that we need to be banishing fear. Banishing fear. That's why he says again and again, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong, courageous. That's, you're going to need strength for this job. You can't be afraid. That's what I love uh, uh, here, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God gave us, a, gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We have to admit we're afraid. We're fearful creatures, are we not? We're fearful creatures. We're afraid of so many different things, of what others think about us, of giving up our pleasures, of not having those, of going without. But God's calling us to surrender. He's calling us to banish fear and follow Him. And lastly, He's calling us to enjoy His favor. Which is why God says to him, says to Joshua in verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I'm giving this to you. Enjoy my favor. Step ahead in faith. Step ahead in faith and enjoy my favor favor. See, God has laid it out for us. God is saying, I've given all this to you. You've got to take a hold of it. Are we going to take a hold of it? Are we as individuals going to take a hold of it? Is your family going to take a hold of it? Are your children going to take a hold of this? Are you going to take a hold of this as an individual? Are we as a church going to take a hold of what God has for us, which is more than we could ever ask or imagine? Do we believe that? I'm afraid that we don't. But I pray that we do. I pray that God continues to work within us. 
by His Spirit awakening us to the reality of who He is, that we might truly understand what it means to be a follower of Him because He's offered infinite joy to each one of us. If you are here today and perhaps you have not invited Jesus as your Lord and Savior into your life, maybe you are still living in rebellion to Him, God is giving you an opportunity to receive Him as Lord and Savior, to repent and believe in Him, to trust in Him for what He did on the cross for you, that He died in your place. He took your sins upon Himself and offers you life, not only abundant life in the here and now, but forever to be in His presence, to become like Him. As John says, because one day we shall see him, for we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Become partakers of that divine nature, experiencing the greatest joy imaginable. We give up all of the worldly things that we have to receive him. Or maybe you are also a a believer here today that you've let layers of unbelief build up in your life. Then take, take God's broom of grace and sweep it away as you come before him in repentance. And he will, his grace is sufficient for you, that he will forgive you and empower you to do what he desires you and us to do. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, help us to step forward. Lord, I am not one that is satisfied with things maintaining the status quo. Lord, I want to see your hand at work. I want us to experience you for who you are, to follow your word to surrender to your will. Lord, may each one of us surrender. Lord, we know that you can do more than we could ask or imagine, more than we we could ever even think, according to that power that was worked within each one of us. But Lord, help, help us, forgive us for turning from our first love. Lord, we have all turned away from you in one way or another. Our minds are distracted. Our hearts are not purely devoted to you. Lord, we pray that you do what only you can do, that you transform hearts and minds. And Lord, help each one of us to surrender, to sacrifice, and then to trust you and step forward in faith, adhering to your word and embracing and entering into that success that you've enabled each one of us to have in you. We pray this, your blessing now, in Jesus' name, amen.